We're in Matthew 6 today. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter number 6. We've been walking through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is recorded Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, today we're right in the middle of it, Matthew chapter number 6, and we're talking today uh, about the way to pray, uh, the way to pray this morning. Uh, June the 2nd, 1995, June 2nd, 1995, uh, Captain Scott O'Grady uh, was an F-16 pilot. Some of you probably have heard the story, uh, maybe even seen the movie, uh, but he was shot down and he ended up behind enemy lines over in Bosnia. He was there for six days. Uh, and if you remember the story and how it unfolded, he was able to grab a survival kit. And uh, in his survival kit, there were several different things that were there. Uh, but the most important, the most important uh, item that was a part of his survival kit happened to be his radio. Uh, it was his radio that kept him in communication and contact with his eyes while he was behind enemy lines. Now, would it be crazy had had... Uh, Captain O'Grady been there and said, you know, <clears throat> I can take care of myself. Uh, in fact, uh, it's really some beautiful sights to see these mountains and these trees and these forests. It's a beautiful place. Let me just enjoy myself and, uh, and, and let's just forget taking up the radio. Uh, you would say, man, that's really ridiculous. That's crazy. Uh, uh, but he didn't. He, he, he held to that radio because he recognized the danger that he was living in. He was living behind enemy lines. Our, our, our first century disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ understood completely the danger that exists in this world. In fact, I would even submit to you today that today we're living behind enemy lines, that there is a danger that exists in this world. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In fact, Peter says he's a roaring lion. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That we're living life in a world <clears throat> that's behind basically enemy lines, but we have an instrument. We have a vital instrument to our not only survival, but to be able to thrive in the midst of a broken world, and that would be prayer, the opportunity that we have to stay connected to the one that sees what we cannot see. This morning we're talking about this subject of prayer, and uh, a prayer is a subject that's been discussed a lot by a lot of different people in a lot of different places, a lot of different ways. In fact, I heard this week about a teacher that was teaching a group of students on the subject of prayer and said, you know, hey, prayer is, is, is kind of like talking on the telephone. You know how it is when you talk on the telephone, you don't see who's on the other end, but you know that they can hear whatever it is that you are saying. And so, and so there was a little boy in class and he immediately just raised his hand and he said, hey, uh, well, what's God's phone number? <laughs> Aren't you thankful today that we have a hotline to heaven through prayer, that we can get onto our knees and call out to our Heavenly Father who knows all things, who sees all things, and He cares and loves very much about us. And so He's talking today about the subject of prayer, Matthew 6, beginning in verse number 5. And the Bible says this, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, so do not be like them. 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the earliest manuscripts don't, con- don't include, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This morning, talking about this subject of prayer, there's a lot of things that I don't understand about prayer, but I don't have to understand all of the intricacies and details to know that prayer, in fact, does work. When you're talking about the complexities of prayer, there are some people that that if you're not careful, you can fall into ruts when it comes to prayer. Some people are so, uh, uh, believe in such a way that, hey, listen, everything is predestined for ordains to the extent that whether I pray or not doesn't matter because God's will will be done at the end of the day. And then there are others who would say, well, God is kind of waiting on our marching orders so that if we don't pray, he's not sure of exactly what he's going to do. And so I've got to make sure that he understands the way and what to do. And so we've got to be careful how we approach God on this subject of prayer. I don't exactly know everything about how prayer works. I do know that we're called to pray, and I'm grateful to God that I don't have to understand all of those things. How in the world do my prayers and the sovereignty of God all come together? I don't understand all of that, but praise God, I don't have to understand that to practice praying and to know that prayer is effective along the way. I'm grateful to God for that. It's kind of like driving a car. I don't have a clue. Yesterday, we had a lady uh, uh, that had had broken down inside of our neighborhood over there, and I stopped over there, and and I'm not sure why I even stopped, because I went by there, and I looked at the engine, and I was like, well, you got an engine. (laughs) I don't know how all of it works. I don't know how all of these things work. Your driver's manual doesn't tell you exactly how all of it works. But at the end of the day, it tells you that, hey, you put it in drive, you put your foot on the gas pedal, you better hang on to the steering wheel because you're going to go. All right? And so prayer is one of those things where Jesus is just saying, hey, here's, here's a manual. Here's how you can pray along the way. And so that's what he's given to us in this text of Scripture Here is how we are to pray. In fact, it's interesting when you read uh, the different accounts over in Luke's gospel, it it, it even says, you know, the disciples actually ask the question. They ask, hey, would you teach us how to pray? Because they recognize, hey, we, we need to know how to pray. Teach us how to pray. So Jesus does Show the way to pray. First, he says how to pray in verses number uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8. He says, make sure you're praying secretly along the way. Pray secretly along the way. He's addressing an issue here in verses 5 and 6. He says, when you pray, uh, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you uh, that they have their reward in full. But go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So praying, first of all, secretly. These uh, uh, people that he's addressing here, he's saying, hey, you know what? There are some people that are, uh, are very devout in their religiosity. And so the Jewish people would stop three times a day at a pre-designated time for 
prayer. And, and it just so happened that what would happen is, is it, as, as the hour of prayer was approaching, there were some among them who just so happened to be crossing the same street corner that just so happened to be the busiest street corner that existed in the city so that they could have a time of prayer with God. But really the motive of their heart, and this is what Jesus was saying, the motive was so messed up that they would rather be seen by men than to seek the heart of God through prayer. It was a motive of the heart issue that he's addressing. He's saying, hey, it's not about when you're praying, it's not about the others that are around you. It's not about the place. It's not about the people. Make sure that my heart and the motive of my heart is pure before God to pray secretly along the way. He's not prohibiting in this text of Scripture, public praying. Because when you look through Scripture, you will find uh, different examples of public praying. Jesus Christ himself prayed publicly, recorded in John chapter 17. All of the early disciples in Acts had public prayer meetings that they would gather and that they would pray. He's not prohibiting. In fact, the Apostle Paul, through the prison epistles, recorded his prayers for people publicly. So he's not prohibiting public prayer of all manner. He's just saying, if you're only praying in public to be seen by men, then you're wasting your breath. I mean, it's kind of like, kind of like my relationship with Bonnie, I, I, <laughs> we've been married for 32 years, and uh, well, not quite, almost 32 years, coming up soon. And uh, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine if, if the only time I addressed my wife and were kind to my wife and held my wife's hand was whenever we were around public people? And But when we were at the house, I just never talked to my wife. I just neglected her and just stayed away from her and never showed any affection or kindness to her in private. After a while, she would be like, you don't even mean what you're doing. Just stop. And that's what Jesus is saying to the religious people who were all about public praying, but they weren't about praying in private. Their hearts weren't right before him. And he's addressing them, and he's saying, hey, listen, pray secretly. Make sure you're praying with good intentions of the heart. And not only praying secretly, but pray sincerely. He says, when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Meaningless repetition, talking about thoughtless praying along the way. Don't, don't, hey, don't be thoughtless. Don't just recite prayers just because, thoughtlessly. So, so, for example, we, how, how we do that, if we're not careful, we can fall into that trap. Uh, a lot of times, like, for example, sports teams, sports teams will do the Lord's Prayer. Call it Lord's Prayer. Uh, we'll do the Lord's Prayer just before a game, and, uh, and as fast as you can. If you've ever been on a, on a, on a sports team, you, you may be aware of, of, of that happening, where you'd have this prayer time, and it's like, everybody's out of breath because you've been stretching and running and getting ready to game, and we get together, and we say, Our Father, heart and heaven, I'll be the name. Kingdom come, will be done. Earth is in heaven. Give us today. Dear friends, give us today. Amen. You know what we did? We recited meaningless words. That's all that was. And if we're not careful, we can do that. We can do that as people to recite meaningless, thoughtless things to God Almighty. I remember being in, in, a, in a church. We, we do that sometimes even as churches. It's not just sports teams. 
I mean, sometimes we're just thoughtless and meaningless in what we do. God, help us not to use thoughtless recitation to God Almighty. I remember being at, at a church. I preached out in Virginia for some time when we were in seminary. And uh, you know how every church has their, like, quirky things, like your, your routines that you're supposed to do, you know? And, like, members know, okay, now you stand up, now you don't stand up, whatever. Uh, I, I remember being at this church and uh, had an opportunity, privilege to be there for a little while. And they would take the offering, and my wife and I would sit down in the front row, and they'd take the offering. And I didn't know when they finished the offering or what they did, but all of a sudden, in the middle of it, all I knew was in the middle of it, the pianist would be over there at the piano, and she would just hit a note. She would be like, dung, like that. And, uh, and like, there's, everybody moved. And, uh, and, it, and it was a weird thing, because, like, when you're sitting on the front row, you're like, what's happening? Somebody's moving. And so, like, you turn around, and everybody's standing up. So we stood up, and, uh, and, and, and they would sing the doxology. Every time they go, dung. And then it was in, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it was every single week. And there's nothing wrong. Hey, he's not forbidding repeating praying, but mindless recitation. And if we're not careful when we do it all the time, what happens is we're just saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures, here below. Praise him above all heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You know? And all we did was recite something without any thought given to praising God who provided me with the very breath I breathe, with everything that I've got, he's given me as a gift. And I don't deserve any of it, but he has been good to me. And you praise God through that. There's nothing wrong with repeating that. There's nothing wrong with repeating prayer. In fact, in fact, what we see in Scripture is some prayers even repeated. The Apostle Paul repeated prayer. Over, over in Acts chapter number 12, the Apostle Paul was talking about this thorn that he had in the flesh. Do you remember the thorn in his flesh? And some people got that figured out. I don't know what he had, but he had a thorn in his flesh. And the Bible says there were seasons of prayer three times over where he was crying out to God, God, if it be your will, would you take Take this from me. But if not, I know that your grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. For your power is perfected in my weaknesses. Oh, he, he, he prayed multiple times. Jesus Christ himself prayed multiple times. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus Christ was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he said, Father, if it be your will, would you take this cup from me? Three times over. But not, but not my will, but thine be done. Oh, he, he, he's not prohibiting repeating prayer. In fact, in my own life, in my own life, and I'm sure that among some of you, I mean, we, we hopefully to God, before you sit down for a meal, you stop and you thank God. And we can use the same words, but be careful that it doesn't just simply become thoughtless recitation. It's just what I do. But I'm acknowledging the fact that, man, God, you gave me everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness. And that's what he's saying. We're, we're, we're not going to get to the heart of God because of the fancy words or the many words that we pray. I mean, he understands more than KJV. <laughs> Luke chapter, y'all okay? Luke chapter 11 when you're talking about the many prayers. Luke chapter 11 records a story. Jesus records a story, and he's talking about praying, and he's talking about being persistent 
in our prayer life. Watch what he says. Luke 11, verses 5 through 8. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight, and he says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers, and he says, don't bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse number eight, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So being persistent in prayer is okay, but make sure that my prayer is out of the sincerity of my heart. Sometimes we we think, man, I, I don't know what to say. Just express your heart. There's not anything magical about prayer. In other words, the words that we select in prayer, there's nothing magical or spiritual about how we pray. God says, I just want your heart. I want sincerity in your prayer life. I I, I think about my my, my experiences in prayer. One one of the most sincere prayers I ever heard, one of the most sincere prayers I, I, I seriously ever heard was from an older fellow that was a dear, dear friend of mine. And he was struggling with colon cancer. And we were in a morning prayer meeting early. And he prayed. And, and, and he said, Lord, my tailpipe is fit, broken, and I need you to fix it. That's how he prayed. He was just saying, I want to express my heart to God. That's why I know how. And that's what prayer is about. And so Jesus is saying, hey, make sure you're not trying to impress people with your prayers. And then he says, but here's, here's what to pray, not just how to pray, but here's what to pray. And he goes on in verse number 9 and gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. When it's really a model prayer for us to be praying, Jesus didn't have to ask the Father to forgive us of debts because he's indebted to nobody. (laughs) But he gives us this model prayer. And there's two aspects to the model prayer. First of all, he talks about praying Godward or praying vertically. He says, pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, hey, make sure you start out recognizing the one to whom you are praying. Why? Because it brings perspective to your prayer life. It will bring perspective to your prayer life when you pray. He says, when you pray, make sure you're praying to the Father. You're not praying to the devil. Some people want to pray to the devil. Nowhere in Scripture do we see a saint of God praying to the devil. That's not who we pray to. We don't pray to Mother Mary. We don't pray to saints We only have one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and in verse number 5. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so when we pray, we pray to the Father. And by the way, the only way you can pray to the Father is if you're born into the family. 
for me to pray to my Father. And one of the dangers that we have happening today is, is, is we have like this ecumenical movement, and it's fine to be with Methodists and Presbyterians and, 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 and Christians. But listen, I'm not linking arms. I'm not linking arms with those who have rejected Jesus Christ. I'm not linking arms with the Mormons. I'm not linking arms with the Buddhists. I'm not linking arms uh, with the Muslims. I'm not pretending to be calling out to our Father because my God is not their father. So when we pray, we pray to our father as children, and I'm grateful. And he says, make sure you pray and you begin focusing on him. Why? Because it adds perspective. He says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. What that does for us is it brings perspective if we stop for long enough and just really focus on the one to whom we pray. Because a lot of times what we do is we get so quick in our prayers, and that's fine and good along the way sometimes, but, but there are times when we must stop and acknowledge the one to whom we pray, that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the sustainer. He is my provider. He is my savior. He is my friend. He is the great I am. He is my victor. He is my comforter. He is my strength when I am weak. He's the great I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. He's the Lamb of God that was slain from before the foundations of the world. This is the Father to whom I pray. He is able to handle anything and everything that comes my way. It helps us add perspective to our prayer when we acknowledge that He is omnipotent. There's nothing happening in my world that He can't handle. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, brings us perspective. But then he says, make sure you're praying his plans, his ways. He says, it goes on in his prayer. He says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, I want your plans. Write your plans on my heart. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the works that he's prepared for us in advance. How do you know those works? Hey, God, thy will be done today in my life. And, and, and how many times, rather than giving God a blank sheet of paper in the morning and saying, God, your will be done, give me my marching orders for today, do we say, here's my plans. God, would you bless it? And he's saying, that's not how you pray. When I pray, I'm saying, God, write your plans on my heart because you're the one that knows all. You're the one that sees all. You are God, and I need you to write your plans on my heart. We pray vertically, and, 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 that's, and that's moment by moment. I mean, he says pray without ceasing. Moment, how, how do I know God's will? There's so many times I don't know God's will and God's way and how to pray. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's sometimes we just get in those moments and God help me to know, teach me how to pray vertically. And then he says horizontally, Here, pray, pray in these ways. Pray in these ways. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. He's saying, hey, my physical needs, praying physical prayers along the way. Why? Because we need to acknowledge the fact a lot of times we don't pray in such a way because I'm not dependent upon his hand, but rather I'm dependent upon my stockpile and everything's a-okay when the fact of the matter is there's no guarantee that my stockpile is going to be there tomorrow. 
And so he's saying, make sure when you're praying that you're, that you're praying, God, take care of me physically, my physical needs along the way. And by the way, we are co-laborers of Christ, and so it's not about going in because the Bible does say, does it not? The Bible says, hey, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat, right? Uh, the Bible says, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. In other words, we're co-laborers with Christ. We don't just go home and say, God, give me my needs for the day, and you just sit there and wait and think that it's going to happen. He says, no, we're co-laborers of Christ. I tried that in school. You ever tried that in school where we're not co-laborers, but instead I'm calling out for a physical need? God, help me pass my test today. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times in my own ignorance I had to, had to finish my test that I took. You ever finished your test that you took and, and pray, my God, my God, why'd you forsake me? <laughs> God, help me. What, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. God, I got needs today, physical needs. And you are Jehovah Jireh. You are my provider. And apart from you, I can do nothing. And I need you today. God, help me physically. But then he says, so you're praying physical prayers about physical things, material things. But then spiritual things. It says in verse number 12, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's a big deal. Spiritual needs says, hey, make sure that we're forgiving others along the way. You know what he's saying? He's, hey, by the way, he's not talking about my salvation, but he's talking about my sanctification, not justification. In other words, when I got saved, I'm justified and I'm grateful to God for that. But my sanctification is dependent upon me recognizing my sin and how my sin affects my fellowship with my Father. And I cannot be out of fellowship with others but in right fellowship with God Almighty. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, you want to have right fellowship with me, get right with others. Forgive them as I have forgiven you. Remember the story of Peter in Matthew chapter number 18? Because it impacts us in a negative way. He desires intimacy. And that's part of our prayer is intimate moments with God Almighty. Wanting Him to hear us and communicate with us. And we think that, man, it doesn't really matter what's happening in my world. And Jesus is saying, absolutely, it does matter. It does matter. Peter, over in Matthew chapter number 18, said, hey, uh, I mean, he was pre feeling pretty good about himself, said, how many times I need to forgive those people that offended me? Seven times? <laughs> and remember Jesus said, oh, you, no, 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 no. You, you, you forgive them 70 times seven. And he's not saying, on 491, just slap them. <laughs> He's saying, you live with a spirit of forgiveness towards others as I have forgiven you. Forgive them. Forgive them. Isn't it amazing? Here, here's, it's amazing. Our God will enable us to do what he calls us to do. The question is, do you want to do? That's really the question. Do, do I want to forgive? Do I want to? Because sometimes I don't. You know, you make a statement like that and people think, man, you've got really problems. <laughs> and I would say we all have problems. Verse 13, he goes on and he says this. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
In other words, guard, guard my steps, guide my path along the way. But, but let me remind you, though, James, James writes in James chapter 1, verse 13, James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. In other words, what happens is God brings trials into our life to develop us, to grow us, and it's in the midst of those trials that oftentimes we find vulnerable moments, and it's in vulnerable moments that lions attack their prey. You ever watch the animal planet? <clears throat> a lion sits in the brush, and he watches and he waits. Those are some patient animals. And the Bible says, you want to you know, you know what the devil's like? He's like a lion. What's he doing? He's waiting to pounce for that vulnerable moment. And sometimes along the way, we find ourselves in the midst of a trial. And man, it's in that moment. It's in that moment that the devil pounces. And as we pray, he's saying, make sure that you're praying that God would guide you and that God would guard you. Oftentimes what we do is we wait until we are spiritually shipwrecked and then we pray, God, forgive me again. God, forgive me again. Rather than saying, today, God, I need you to guide my steps, to guard my steps, to keep me from falling so that I might bring honor to your name. God, help me today. That's what he's saying. He's just simply saying, hey, listen, you and I are living life behind enemy lines. And we have the privilege to pray to the one that sees all things, that knows all things. He's all-powerful. And the question is, have you got your radio turned on? Are you, do, do you recognize the danger that exists? Are you in communication with Jesus, the one who rescues? God, help me to be faithful in my prayer life. Hey, <clears throat> before we break, just want to ask the question. Because he says, when we do pray, we pray to our Father. And he doesn't become our Father until we're born into the family. To be born again. The Bible teaches to be born again. And to be born again simply means this. There comes a time in my life when I recognize I have sinned against God. Because the Bible says all of us, every last one in this building, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, that I deserve to die and go to hell. But what happened is Jesus Christ came into this world and he paid my sin debt on the cross. For me, he paid it for you because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus came. He shed his blood on the cross so that my sin could be forgiven. My sin debt is paid in full. And I need to recognize, God, you sent a wonderful gift into this world and your son, he died on a cross. He was buried. Three days later, he came up from the grave. He's alive and I can have a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ and when we recognize, I need Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I want him in my life. And we call on his name. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's when we're born again. So my question to you is, have you been born again? Have you ever been a time in your life when you recognize, I need him?
to be my Lord and my Savior. And I want to call out to him. If that's never happened in your life, I want to invite you today. God loves you, desires intimacy with you, and you can have that intimacy. Be one of his children when you call on his name. So I encourage you to call on his name if you've never called on his name. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for a time of prayer? Today we're going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to close with a song. And after that song has been sung, maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know, I'd like to talk to you or talk to somebody about a relationship with God. Man, I've never called on his name, but today I want to call on his name. I want to be saved. You come this morning. After we sing, you come this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your kindness and goodness. And God, I pray right now that you would have your way in our hearts and in our minds have your way today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.